Good morning, church family. It is great to see you. Happy Memorial Day weekend to you. My name is Jacob Simmons. I'm the minister to single adults, and I'm thrilled to be here this morning. Thank you very much. We are concluding a series called With, about walking with God, having a relationship with God. And it's important that we do this because this is one of the most important things about being a Christian, having a relationship with God. A couple weeks ago, we talked about walking with God, and Steve preached on Genesis 1 and 2 about how we were created by God to be in relationship with him. That God created us, man and woman, in his image, and man and woman dwelled with him in the garden, and it was perfect, and it was beautiful. And then sin entered in the world, and God cast us out of the garden, and forever we've been longing to be back in. Chad preached on how to walk with God in his word, that the God of all creation has revealed himself through his word, through scripture, a living and breathing document that is alive and sharper than any two-edged sword and pierces us to joint and marrow, convicting us of our sin and showing us our need for a savior. Danny talked last week about walking with Jesus. Jesus commands his disciples to take up your cross and follow me. Even when others turn away, he asks, will you turn away? And Peter responds, where would we go? You are the one with the words of eternal life. You are the holy one of God. As Christians, we follow with Christ. And we also follow by walking in the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit this morning. And talking about the Holy Spirit is hard because it's the intersection of the spiritual and the physical and it's confusing and it's frustrating and the words sometimes fail us. If at some point today your head hurts from all this, know that I do not feel bad for you. Because I've been thinking about this all week and I've had a lot of headaches and finally just welcome to this conversation. It's frustrating, right? It's frustrating to talk about spiritual things and how they intersect with the physical. It's, it's well, let's do this. Uh, who here believes in ghosts? Raise your hand high. By show of hands, who here believes in ghosts? Raise it high if you really believe in ghosts. If you're not really sure, hold it just high. Nobody's raising their hands. I feel, is my microphone? It's not working. It is working. Uh, who believes in ghosts? If you work in tech or sound, surely you believe in ghosts. I do know that. But it's hard. It's challenging. Because we don't fully understand. And if we don't fully understand the Holy Spirit, then we can minimize his power, having, showing and demonstrating a lack of faith in God as the Holy Spirit, which can be hard for us on our spiritual journeys. You and I can be tempted to Scooby-Dooify the Holy Spirit. That's right, we can be tempted to Scooby-Dooify the Holy Spirit. What am I talking about? Well, of course I'm talking about the 1969 cartoon, Scooby-Doo, where are you? Raise your hand if you've heard of Scooby-Doo. Good, at least you have hands. I didn't know that you did, but you do. This cartoon was, of course, in this show, and it's shown ever decades since it started, uh, somebody is being haunted, and they have to call Scooby-Doo and his gang to come investigate. This includes Fred and Daphne and Velma and Shaggy, an anthropomorphic Great Dane that talks named Scooby-Doo. He says things like, ruh row and roll me right? You've seen it. You've seen it. They will load up in their mystery machine and go investigate ghosts. It's a very groovy show. A lot of you baby boomers know what I'm talking about. It's a very groovy show, right? Well, they get on the scene. Inevitably, the three normal ones get separated from Shaggy and the talking dog. 
And they'll run into the ghost and hijinks will ensue and zoinks and what happens at the end of every episode? They capture the ghost and they remove the mask. It wasn't a ghost at all, but it was a man. It was a person doing this haunting. It was not a spirit, but it was a person. It was old man Whitaker from the hardware store or something like this. And he says, uh, and I would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for you meddling kids. Every episode. It's great. It's wonderful. You and I can scooby-dooify the Holy Spirit. We can give attributing to man what is in fact God. We can minimize the spiritual because of what we've seen or what we haven't seen. It's hard and it's frustrating, but if we minimize the Holy Spirit, we are missing out on a vital, important, perhaps most important part of our daily relationship with God. So we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit today. We're going to hear about his job, and the best way to hear about his job is to look at the Holy Spirit's resume. That's right. I have right here in this bag the resume of the Holy Spirit. You can't see it. It's spiritual, but that's a dumb joke. I've asked David to type it up and put it on the screen. So David, go ahead and do that. The Holy Spirit has a resume. You didn't know this, but he does. And we're going to look first at his education. The education of the Holy Spirit is he is God. The Holy Spirit is God. He's a, min- a member of the Trinity, tri-unity, three in one, three persons in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't just an addition, an addendum. The Holy Spirit is God. So how about his professional history? What has he done through the years that we might invite him into our heart? What has he done? Well, he has a good one. Genesis 1-2, the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. God said, let us make man in our image, our implying the full presence of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So he was there in the beginning. He shows up a lot in the Old Testament. It says the Spirit of God was on Joshua, on the judges. The Spirit of God was on Saul the Spirit for a time. And then the Spirit of God was on David. When David is confessing his sin of Bathsheba in Psalm 51, he implores the Lord, do not let your Holy Spirit depart from me. The Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove at his baptism. And then he has his great moment in the spotlight in Acts chapter 2. Peter preaching the Pentecost and the Holy Spirit comes down like tongues of fire so that all who were gathered there began speaking in different tongues and languages. And many, many people were saved, praise God. If ever there's a moment in history to visit, that one's near the top of my list. He pours out the Holy Spirit on the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10 for a lot of white people. That's good news for us as well. And then Jesus, at the Great Commission, promised his disciples, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus himself is about to ascend, but he promises the Holy Spirit will come to the end of the age. Meaning the Holy Spirit is here now with us to the very end of the age. So in terms of professional history, expansive, right? Pretty solid, looks good on a resume. So let's look at the skills and experience of the Holy Spirit. We're not going to spend a lot of time on all these, but it's important for us to see. One, convicts the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit guides the disciple into all the truth, which this is good news for us. This is good news for us, especially in evangelism, that it is not my job to convince someone else they're a sinner. That's the Holy Spirit's job. I talk about Jesus and what he's done for me and how the Holy Spirit has transformed my life, but it's not my job to convince that person. It's the Holy Spirit's job, and he's faithful to do his job. 
The Holy Spirit never speaks on his own authority, but on the authority of Jesus. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. The Holy Spirit declares to the believer the things that are to come and takes the truth of Jesus and declares it to all. J.I. Packer says that the Holy Spirit has a floodlight ministry, meaning he's going to take his light and shine it all on Jesus. He's not going to tell us anything different than what Jesus has already told us as revealed in Scripture. So if you think that the Holy Spirit is telling you to go and punch your neighbor, that's not true. Jesus has told us the opposite, to love your neighbor. The Holy Spirit is only going to lead us and tell us the same things that Jesus has told us already. That's his ministry. That's his job. The Holy Spirit aids in the confession of the believer bears fruit in the lives of the believer, empowers for spiritual gifts, gifts like wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. Holy Spirit enables and empowers the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, and all the saints for the work of ministry. The Holy Spirit liberates believers from the law and death, dwells within the believer, consecrates, which meaning you and I who are fleshly human, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is there as an active part of our sanctification, making that which was not holy, holy. He consecrates us. The Holy Spirit gives life, helps the believer to pray when he's out of words, the Holy Spirit grows the church, and perhaps most importantly, the Holy Spirit gives power. He gives great power. He gives us the power to preach, help me, Lord. He gives us the power to witness. He gives us the power to heal, the power to hope. He gives us the power to be strong and the power to be weak. He gives us the power to do the right thing even when it's hard. He gives us the power to understand. He gives us the power to move, the power to stop, and the power to wait. 2 Peter chapter 1, 3-4 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, when we submit and surrender to the Lordship of Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us, and we have his power. We are partakers of the divine nature. We do not deserve this. We are just humans, fleshly creatures after all, but we have within us the divine. Do you believe this? Do you believe that God would put himself within our own hearts? If we misunderstand this or confuse this, we minimize what God can do. And of course, we are going to then recognize, where are you, God? Forgetting that he dwells within us. Every good resume ends with references. And we have run, one reference that we only need to mention, and that's the reference of Jesus, who says... Who says in John 16, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus promises the helper, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit. In my moments of darkness or anxiety, I can, I can long to be with Jesus. And say, I wish I could talk to Jesus. I wish I could see Jesus or hug Jesus. 
But Jesus says, it is to your advantage that I go away. It is better that I am not here and that I send the Holy Spirit. And sometimes I confess to you, I don't believe what Jesus is saying here. I would rather be with Jesus, but if I believe Jesus, he says, it is better that the Holy Spirit would come. It is better that the Holy Spirit, God, would dwell inside your hearts, and he will lead you, and he will help you. Do you believe that the Holy Spirit is better? Do you believe the words of Jesus? The church in Galatia believed Jesus, but they also believed they had to be a little bit Jewish as well. That yes, we confess Jesus Christ is our Savior, but also there's some things we have to do on the side, some works we have to do. Open up your Bibles to Galatians. Our main text will be in chapter 5, but look at chapter 3, starting in verse 2. Jesus, uh, Paul, talks to the Galatians about their relationship with Jesus and it was not enough, similar to our Colossians series. Paul says to the church in Galatia, chapter 3, verse 2, And I'm going to do my Paul impression. Let me ask you only this. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Do you think you have to do it on your own works of the law, your own works to satisfy your salvation? No, no, it is by the Holy Spirit. We don't have much temptation to be very Jewish, as it were, but we do have temptations of our own. Great things, wonderful things like reading your Bible and praying and fellowshipping with other believers at church can become our spiritual checklist of the things that we think we have to do. And if you do any of those things apart from your Holy Spirit, it is navel-gazing. It's reading the phone book. It's a good thing. Do not hear me wrong. No minister will tell you that those are bad things. But if you do them out of your own works, Paul says, are you so foolish? When we look at our relationship with God, we have to recognize where is the Holy Spirit? When we ask that question, have I met with God today? Have you encountered the Spirit in your own life? recognizing where he's moving and what he's doing and what he's teaching and how he is transforming you. Paul continues this theme of the Holy Spirit in chapter 5, starting in verse 16, which Jeremy ably read earlier. There are four parts to this flesh, uh, to this text. Flesh is in there at some point. Point one, the war of the desires. I'll read in verse 16, chapter 5. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. To the Galatian church who was very, very worried about the law, Paul was saying, if you're led by the Spirit, you will not break the law. The Holy Spirit will lead you in the path of righteousness. 
We have desires within us, and there's a war for these desires, the desires of our flesh and the desires of the spirit. And if we are honest, we recognize that these do not take us the same way. The spirit leads us in light on the path of righteousness, but the desires of our flesh, where we, like Adam and Eve, are tempted to believe that we, we, we are only going to be satisfied by what we want to do. If we're honest, we are selfish, we don't always want to follow the path of God. We falsely believe that like, what I want to do is going to make me happy. That will satisfy. And that is not the desire of the Spirit. It's the same thing Paul says in Romans 7 when he says, I don't do the things I want to do, and I do the things I don't want to do. It's the same idea. There's a war for our desires. And then point two, the works of the flesh. Paul goes and examines the flesh against the Spirit and the works he uses that, uh, you can feel it dripping off of his tongue, the works of the flesh, what we do. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is a classic Pauline list, and I hate these lists. I hate these for a couple reasons. One, it makes me say orgies in church, and I don't like that. I don't. Two is that it takes the big ones like that, and it also has some of the small ones in there, and it makes me recognize that the big sins and the small sins are equal in God's eyes, and that makes me uncomfortable. The list is pretty expansive, so much so that I... If I'm honest, and if the Holy Spirit is working in my heart, which he is, I recognize that there's a bit too much of my own flesh here in this list. Sexual immorality. This is sex outside of God's boundaries of marriage. Impurity. Uncleanliness. In a sexual way. So if sexual immorality is sex out of, ma out of marriage, impurity is fooling around. You didn't know you were getting that this morning at church, did you? sensuality or debauchery, a love of sin, no restraint, decency, or self-respect, someone who is so in love with their own sin that it almost defines them, idolatry, worshiping idols, worshiping anything that is not God, sorcery or witchcraft. This is where I stop and say, okay, good. I don't know many Wiccans or witches. Uh, maybe on other countries this is an issue, other continents, but not us so much. But then we do a little uh, Greek word study. The Greek word is pharmakon, which is where we get the word pharmacy. Literally, it means drugs. The witches or the sorcerers would take mind-expanding substances to have an experience of some kind, and I start to think about the opioid crisis sweeping our nation and our state, and I recognize this is closer to our backyard than I initially thought. Enmity, hatred, or the opposite of love. Strife, which is discord or a contentious spirit or a temper or being petty. Jealousy, wanting what someone else has, which leads to bitterness and demonstrates our own ingratitude. And this is where I stop and hold my breath a little bit because this gets challenging. Fits of anger, outbursts of rage or hostility. You ever seen a grown man throw a temper tantrum? It's not pretty. Rivalries. This is selfish ambition, self-promoting or self-serving. There is an undercurrent of politicking in here, of 
not us, not them, but us come over here in the church, it has no place. Dissensions, similarly, cultivating a party spirit or exclusivity, gossip. Gossip is within the the semantic range of this word, and I point that out specifically because you don't have to work with 20-somethings very long to recognize they're tempted by gossip. You don't have to work with 30-somethings very long to recognize they're tempted by gossip. And you don't have to work with 40-somethings very long to recognize they're tempted by gossip. And you don't have to work with 50-somethings very long to recognize they're tempted by gossip. And you don't have to work with 60-somethings very long to recognize they're tempted by gossip. And I don't work with many 70-somethings, so I assume they're perfect, but I don't know. Divisions, factions, cliques, exclusivity. It has no place in the church, has no place in the Christian life. Envy, drunkenness, the overindulgence of alcohol, and then that meted to its greatest end, orgies, reveling, carousing, wild, drunken parties. And then Paul says things like these, as if his hand has gotten tired from writing of all the sins of people that he's known. Things like these. And if we're honest, this is anything that our own selfishness would drive us to. It's a non-exhaustive list, but things like these, anything that the work of the flesh will accomplish, we will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who engage in this list and do not confess their sin and call on the name of the Jesus will not inherit the kingdom of God. But thankfully, Paul then gives another way, the fruit of the Spirit Paul continues an image that Jesus uses about fruit, that if you abide in Christ like the vine and the branch, you will produce great fruit. We've seen good fruit before, right? And we've seen bad fruit. My grandmother, Mama Ruth, had an apple tree in her backyard, and this apple tree was gross. These hard, disgusting apples. You would not eat this unless dared by your cousins, right? They were only good for throwing up and hitting with baseball bats and smashing. That's all they're good for. But a good apple. When Suzanne and I lived in Chicago, our church would do a staff retreat in Wisconsin. And on our way back one year, we stopped by this apple orchard. Fuji apples and Red Delicious and Granny Smith apples and the beautiful Honey Crisp apples falling off the tree. You would rub it on your shirt and it would get dirtier somehow. That's how beautiful these apples were. The fruit of the Spirit, the fruit that you can see and it's pleasing to the eye and It's beautiful and you long for it. That's how Paul describes the Christian life when the Spirit is at work in your heart. The fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Godly love. An agape love. Demonstrate to us that Christ first loved us. Joy. A life of rejoicing. Of celebrating. The Greek word is the same root as the word for grace. So a life of rejoicing of the grace demonstrated to us. A life of hope. This is the Christian life demonstrated by the Spirit. Peace. That Old Testament shalom that comes with being in a right relationship with God. And living in harmony with others. Peace. Patience. Long-suffering. A distinctly divine characteristic. Of not just like, hey, bro, how much longer to lunch? Five minutes? Oh, I can wait. Not that kind of patience, but a willingness to suffer, long suffering. We recognize that there are those in this room and those in our church right now who are waiting on God. And I want you to know that we are waiting with you. Kindness, also a divine characteristic. 
characteristic of God. Kindness, who initiated a relationship with sinners because of his own loving kindness. Goodness, integrity, benevolence, and generosity towards others. Faithfulness, both meaning faithful in believing in God and in Jesus Christ, but also being true, trustworthy, and reliable in your dealings with others. Being faithful. Being gentle. Gentleness, humble and considerate. To quote Dean Timothy George, not wimpish weakness, but power under control. Being gentle doesn't mean you're a pushover. It means you're humble and you're considerate. Power under control. And that same theme, self-control, a mastery over your own desires and passions. Like a trained boxer or a runner, you are disciplined and have self-control, knowing that we will fail, but that Christ's sacrifice covers us. But having self-control, this is the fruit of the Spirit, that if the Spirit dwells within you and is bearing fruit, this is what our Christian life is going to look like. Against such things, there is no law. There is no law against such things. To the Galatian church who is really worried about the law, focus less on the law and focus more on the Holy Spirit. To those of us who are dry or in a desert or a season of wilderness and keep working through our checklist but wondering where God is, worry less about the checklist and worry more about the presence of the Holy Spirit in your heart. And then when the Spirit is cultivating and bearing fruit, you will long to read his word and meet with him there. You will long to meet with him in prayer. You will long to come to church and fellowship with the believers. The Holy Spirit will cultivate that thirst within you to meet with God there. Do you recognize the Holy Spirit in your own life? Paul says in verse 24, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Paul uses the most vivid of images here, and that is one of a crucifixion. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If Jesus asks us to take up our cross and follow him, and the Holy Spirit is telling us to make sure a crucifixion takes place, And that is of our own sinful flesh and desires on the cross with Jesus. The Son of God who died for our sins. Take our earthly, fleshly desires and leave them there at the cross because Jesus died for them and has paid for them and then resurrected three days later showing that he can defeat death and the power of sin. Praise God. Jesus Christ has died for the sins of those who call on his name and all have access to call on the name of Jesus. The Holy Spirit will come and dwell within you and walk with you. Which leads us to the last point. Point four, the steps of the saints. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. If we live by the Spirit, if we live by the Spirit, and if you are living, it is only by the Spirit because you are dead in your trespasses but made alive in Jesus Christ. If you are alive, it is because the Holy Spirit has breathed life into you. If you are alive, it is because of the work of Jesus on the cross. If you are alive, it is by the Spirit. And so if you are alive, then keep in step with the Spirit. Follow the Spirit 
keep in step with the Spirit. I love this turn of phrase to keep in step with the Spirit. It reminds me of being a child on the beach with my father where he would walk in the sand and I would walk after him. His feet larger, his steps longer, but I would try to follow him. Keep in step with the Spirit. Or it takes me back to my cotillion days, right, of dancing. The holy dance of life in the Spirit. It's just a waltz, don't worry. It's not that much. Just a waltz. We're Baptist after all. Keep in step with the Spirit. The word actually is the word, a military term for marching, which is good. It makes sense. Marching. Keep in step with the Spirit. Don't look left or right to become conceited or provoke one another or to envy somebody else, but keep in step with the Spirit. Follow after Him, and He will lead you. He will put in you the desires of the Spirit, and you will look like Jesus. This is the Christian life. I want to do four quick points of application. There's a lot to take here. And my list, like Paul's, is not exhaustive. But just a couple things to handle, to hang on to. One, be aware that the Holy Spirit is with you. In your dark moments, in your frustration, be aware the Holy Spirit is with you. If you live by the Spirit, He is with you. Two, follow the Holy Spirit's leading. Follow him. Be brave. Be obedient. Follow him. That still quiet voice in your heart that is telling you to do the thing that you would not do on your own because you know yourself enough to know that I really want to do this and I shouldn't do it, but I'm going to go this way instead. That's the Holy Spirit leading you. And he leads you in those small moments when we are tempted to sin. And he leads us in the big moments through the trajectory of our whole life. Follow him. Three, affirm the Holy Spirit in Scripture. If you think the Holy Spirit is leading you somewhere, affirm it in Scripture. He's not going to tell you anything contradictory to Scripture. And four, remember that you are not in control. And this is hard. This is hard for a group of high-capacity people in the room. This is hard. We want to be in control of our own lives, but the Christian life is a life of sacrifice and submission. You are not in control. You cannot control the Holy Spirit, and you do not want to. Remember that you are not in control. For those who have been running on your own strength, who are tired, for those who have been running on your own strength, this is a call to rest in the promise that the Holy Spirit will lead you. He will. For those who are sitting down, currently opting out of a relationship with God, this is a call to get up and take those next steps in the Holy Spirit. This is a call for you to get up and take your next steps. You can't run 30 years in one day, but you can take that next step. And you may not know what that is, and we are here We'll be up here after the service, and we're here as a church to help you take those next steps in the Holy Spirit. And for those who are earnestly looking to grow in their faith, but you feel guilty because of the current condition of your spiritual life, you feel guilty, hear this. The Holy Spirit is not going to guilt you. The Holy Spirit is not going to guilt you. If the Spirit is dwelling within you, then you are already not guilty. The Spirit has paid the price for your guilt. 
Jesus Christ has died on the cross so that you and I are not guilty. Don't worry about being guilty. Conviction, yes. He's going to ask you to repent and follow in Christ-likeness, but he is not going to guilt you. He invites you to come and follow him in a life of obedience, of Christ-likeness led by the Holy Spirit. So my friends, keep in step with the Spirit. I've asked Logan to come and close the sermon with a musical prayer. This will be our closing prayer, and he's going to lead. In our moments of frustration, aloneness, isolation, we can call out to God, walk with me, Lord. Call out to the Spirit, walk with me, and he will answer. I want to talk just for a moment about happens. what happens when we are done walking with God. When our steps have stopped and the chariot swings low to take us home, all of us will die one day, and we pray that the Lord will give us all many days to walk with him. But we know that our earthly days are numbered, that our bodies will pass away, and our spirit will be taken into heaven. Deep down, all Christians long for that day. In the same conversation that Jesus promises the Holy Spirit to the disciples, he also told them, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. There is a promised place for God's people, the place where his glory dwells forever, where endless days we will sing God's praise, the great wedding feast where we will dine with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And my friends, heaven is promised to us and our faithful God will deliver. Our relationship with God now can be frustrating confused by hearts of flesh and wandering eyes and turned heads and sleepless nights and hoarse voices from crying out to God. We want to meet with God, but we feel distant. But Jesus promises that for those who call on his name, the one who is the way and the truth and the life, on that day, our limping will turn to leaping. Our seeking will turn to savoring. Our distance will turn to dancing. Our fears will turn to forevers. Our worries will turn to worship. Our prayers will turn to promises. Our wandering will turn to wondering. Our walking will turn to marching because on that day, we will be in the number when the saints go marching in. The things we value now, gold will be gravel. Money will be mortar, bills will be bricks, wealth will be walls, and priceless pearls will be garnish on the gates. The works of our flesh will be covered by the works of Jesus Christ on the cross. Walking daily in the Spirit will turn into bowing eternally before the Lamb. We will be restored to the Lord, back in the garden, dwelling with our God face to face. Our faith will be sight, our bodies will be whole, our songs will be forever, and my friends, it will be glorious. But until that day comes, we stand and we cry out, walk with me, Lord, walk with me.